SAFM Sports Wrap. SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Let's talk football now because uh, with a move out of the relegation zone, things could be looking up for Bidvestwitz. But in addition to league matches now, they've uh, also got the Nedbank Cup and the uh, African Champions League immediately ahead. Delighted to uh, welcome on the line coach of Bidvestwitz, Gavin Hunt. Uh, Gavin, thanks for joining us. Good evening. Hi, Dwayne. How are you, man? Okay, man. Yeah, I, I'm good. Thank you. you. You must be a little happier now. Two wins in your last three and uh, well out of the relegation zone. No, we're not well out there. We're only three points. <laughs> That's well out in this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, no, no, no. We're nowhere near well out of it. We've still got a long, long way to go. Uh, but we're looking, we're looking up and we're looking forward and, uh, and you know, we're looking above us and that's the most important thing. Try not to look behind us and underneath us. That's all. Fair, fair enough on the not well out. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a season very difficult to reconcile and... and uh, I, it was one of those where I look at your Telcom knockout and I go, you, you won four matches out of four in the Telcom knockout. Uh, you've only just won your fourth league match out of 18 league matches. I mean, that's that's very difficult to, to, to reconcile. Have you at any stage been able to put your finger on exactly what the difference is between this, the, the sort of fixtures? Well, whatever I say is going to be a lot of rubbish. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so, no, <laughs> I, can make, I can make 101 excuses and say this and that, but there's no... And, and, and believe me, if anybody tells you any different, they're talking nonsense because there's no, there's no explanation. There's no explanation. I think um, it's just one of those things. I mean, uh, you know, the games that we in the league. I mean, the opportunities that we've missed. I mean, like everybody else, everybody all misses. But we, you know, I mean, there was a, there was a halfway stat done. All the stats were done on the halfway in the league. Of you know the general stuff, increasing to the final third mm. and crosses and shots. And uh, in about four or five of those categories, shots on shots on target, shots on goal, crosses into the box, all that. We top of the league. I mean, it's crazy. So something not happening out front, you know, something sitting the final ball or the final pass, and to 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 to, to between a, a league game and a cup game, you can't put your finger on it. There's nobody else. nobody can tell you why. But we create chances, and you know, we don't score. And then obviously it goes down the other end, and you concede, and then. Uh, you, Chasing the game, you know, so that's pretty much where it's been. I think we played actually very well this season. I don't think uh, we played badly at all. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, your match against Supersport United the other day, I thought was one of the uh, the classic performances again. Although I will say Friday night wasn't a classic performance. Uh, well, so Friday, you know, Friday night was that, that disaster. That was the worst game we played this whole year, <laughs> and we won. So you tell me, <laughs> we played so well in other games and we lost. So yeah. I mean, there's no formula. There's no. You know, and, and, and all these guys are here and the stats and they study mm. teams and they do absolute hogwash. You know, if you don't understand football, you'll never understand it. So, um, it's crazy, it's crazy. It, it really is, it really is a crazy season. But survival clearly is, is, is uh, what you're looking yeah. for from here. But uh, what are you looking at for the remainder of the season, especially when you consider, of course, you've got Nedman Cup and uh, and uh, African Champions League immediately ahead? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously the perfect thing for us to do is find in the group stages. I mean, that's going to be won't be easy, you know, we've seen our league situation, you know, we have to be very careful what sort of teams we play at certain times, because obviously we, our league games now have to take a little bit of preference, you know, uh, it's understandable, because that's, that's the most important thing. Um, but we, we'll see, I mean, we'll, we've got a strong enough squad to, to play on all fronts, there's no doubt about it. I mean, last year, last season, we were very unfortunate, against our luckily losing one all, you know, uh, over two games, and then losing to Samoa on a penalty, um, over two games as well, you know. So it was really, really close and very really tight. And but in saying that, you know, we've won three trophies in 14 months. I don't think anybody's done that, you know. 
So um, it's crazy. Well, that, that's the point. I mean, uh, you know, on the face of it, there are people saying this is the worst ever start for, by, a, by a defending uh, league, yes. league team. Possibly could be. But, sure. but, but the, the, the flip side of that is who has won six, uh, you know, three trophies in such, no, a little nobody. over a year? So, nobody. Nobody. What's, nobody. Your, what's your management said to you? Surely you had discussions with management. Yeah, obviously, no, everybody's not happy, you know. But, I mean, there's a lot went on behind the scenes. But, I mean, I can't reveal all that stuff, you know. But, I mean... But they're keeping faith in you. I mean, well, yeah, I don't think so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how long is a piece of string? <laughs> ah. So, um, yeah, no, we, we, they, they've been very good, very good. And, um, and obviously, we've done a bit of business now in the market as well, you know. Yes. Um, and we've done some good business. In terms of getting, you know, moving a few players in and new few out, and just trying to party up the squad a little bit, so um, they've been very good there and um, very supportive, and um, they long to continue. On that point, uh, Gavin, there's a whole bunch of debate going on at the moment, or at least a whole bunch of talk about uh, Abu Bakr Mubarak moving from Orlando Paris. He's been given the captain's armband there. Do you have a sort of update on the status of that potential move? I don't, Dwayne, at the moment. I've not been interviewed to it. Obviously, the chairman, um, Mr. Causa, and, and my CEO, Jose, have been doing it. So I'm not sure. You know, I get a bit of a daily update on it, but uh, there's not much on, on going on at the moment. For that. No. Are you hopeful of making new signings, though? Well, I, I think we need to just strengthen in certain areas. I mean, certain areas we've been let down by injuries and people and things like that, and long-term injuries. And, you know, um, like everybody else has the same problems, but, I mean, in the court a little bit because we pretty much we can't afford to keep two first choice players. We've got to sort of have a first choice player and then and a backup player, you know, or not a backup player, but a player obviously. Yeah. Have some depth. You know, um, yeah, yeah. So we, you know, some clubs can obviously have two players or three players in the same position at equal equal ability. So, you know, that, that, that's, but that's, that's okay. That's okay. You know, that's, that's what I do well. I always try and find a few young ones and try and find a few watched up ones and kind of them and from there, you know? Yeah, you can't argue with that. I mean, but generally, your January signings are generally year in and year out the best signings of the season. I mean, I, I mean, you, you continue to prove it. And a guy like Sviso Slanti, I mean, he was one of your January signings. And look at, he, he went from yeah. being uh, playing in the National First Division to playing in Bafana Bafana in the space of a, a couple of games. And that's just one example of uh, of many. And go through the whole team. He was he was sitting in the stands, and that was we were halfway in the middle of the first division, and then a month later or two months later in the Bafana team. So let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, but look, Kevin. I mean, yeah. you 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 are somebody who uh, you you want results. You like to achieve results, but I know you tend to deflect the glory from yourself. But you you are only one of two coaches who's won every domestic trophy. If you win the Nedbank Cup, you've obviously become the first coach to ever win every domestic trophy with one club. Now. I know you're not going in and going to, you know, talk yeah. about the entire Nedbank Cup competition, but you know there is something there to be to be achieved by the side. And is a good Nedbank Cup run not only for your own glory, good for the team again to perhaps build on what is starting yeah. to look like a turnaround? Yeah, great. Look, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit different. I, I always think every game is the most important game, so it doesn't matter if it's a cup. And I always fight with my owners because you know they say, well. You need to protect this player because if you've got three yellow cards, I should bugger that, you play the next game, you know. So, you know, those type of things. I try and play every game, you know, and this year, I mean, we played the Cups brilliantly and then the leagues we couldn't get any form, you know. So that was a bit disturbing. And I, but I do think it leads to 
bit more confidence in the team if, if you have a bit of a run and uh, and obviously stay unbeaten for some time, you know. So the cup is very important to me, not to me, the club, uh, personally, and everything, you know. So uh, it's important. Yeah, of course it's important. I would love to see what uh, what you do in the Nedbank Cup this year because uh, after the Telcom knockout, I mean, you guys looked you looked almost invincible in the Telcom knockout, but again, they just mm. couldn't reconcile the league results. But uh, <laughs> yeah, look... I, I want to I want to get your point on something that's that's been much debated as well. CAF Champions League uh, Confederation Cup. We know that it's now going to be moving to follow the European calendar next year. Yeah. As yeah. a South African coach, knowing that you won't have to have your players playing through the off season, knowing that you won't have to be at work every day during the off season, how do you feel about this? And 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 do you believe it's actually going to see improved overall performances in continental competition, especially for South African teams? Absolutely, because you know. I'll give you an example. I'll never forget, when I was at Supersport, we played our lucky. Um, and we played them in, I think it was July. I, can't, I, I, can't, I think I, And what happened was, we lost three, four players. We lost big, big players. I mean, players were sold off, went to the Chiefs, to Sundowns. Uh, and, and, and we went to play our lucky with uh, 12 players or 13 players. And you, you know, you couldn't sign because you know the whole registration story. That's right, yeah. So, and we lost 2-1 over two legs. The penalty as well again, you know me, <laughs> lovely. Um, and we were, and that was the, I mean, a good side. Are lucky, you know, when they had the top players. I mean, um, and they eventually went on to win the thing. But it, I'm saying that with the calendar change, it'll be much better. The signings, uh, the window periods, and where you can get players, and it'll be, it'll be much. We will have a much better equal footing with, with, um, with the calendar change. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, I think this is a this is a smart move. I just hope that uh, we're not going to see too much of an overload during the season because I suppose overall, over the course of a year, you still need to play the same number of matches, uh, although at different dates, which might be a lot more convenient, certainly. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a number of the games. I just think it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a period where you have to play the games. You have yeah. to keep playing. Do you understand? And I think you know these teams in Africa have an off season where South African teams it, it is difficult. There's no doubt about it. And you got to have a bigger squad, and the bigger squad means. More money, have we got the budget, you know, and all these type of things. Um, and then obviously players move, you've been registered with the squad, they get sold or they move on or whatever, and now you can't replace them. That's all these type of things. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not easy. To, uh, so I think with the calendar change, I think it'll be much better. Well, Gavin, uh, always appreciate your insights and that, and congratulations once again on a couple of wins in your last few matches. Best of luck against Supersport United again, who you uh, you meet over the weekend, and indeed in the Nedbank Cup against Cape Town City, and uh, away to the Mauritian team, Pumplemousse in the Champions League. Yeah, thank you. I mean, there's no easy games, as you can see. Everybody's beating everybody. It's crazy. I mean, if you're a betting man in South African football, you've got oh, no, no chance of winning money. No chance. You can't win money. You can't win money. If you're, you, <laughs> you can't win money. It's crazy. Thanks, I mean, Kevin. You, could, it's, you can't get a winner here. Anyway, thanks, man. SAFM Sports Wrap. SAFM South Africa's news and information leader. Let's talk Dakar Rally now because the uh, Dakar concluded on Saturday, yes, over the weekend in the uh, Argentine city of Cordoba. Two podium finishes, though, for uh, South African team uh, Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa. So let's talk about what was a particularly tough Dakar of 2018. On the line, joined by uh, Citizen Chief Sports reporter Wesley Botton, who's been uh, following the race. Uh, Wes, thanks for joining us. Good evening. Pleasure, Dwayne. Evening. A solid end for South Africa, a stage win for Janiel de Villiers and Dirk von Zitzewitz and uh, on, on the 14th and final stage and a podium finish for them too. Yeah, awesome, I think. Um, they, they only entered three cars, Toyota Gazoo. So, you know, to have them to have their top two cars finishing second and third is, is crazy. Um, and, and 
considering the competition they were up against. Mm. They, they really battled against the Peugeots, I think, the whole race. So uh, for them to be Peter Hansel into fourth, I think, is, is amazing. They, they must be very, very chuffed with that result. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, the Peugeots were the car to beat. And, uh, I mean, two Toyota Hiluxes in the top three, as you say, must be particularly pleasing. But, I mean, over and above that, uh, the, the, the quality of the racing was, uh, was things like nas- naturally aspirated V8 engines at altitude. I mean, they were at a disadvantage at various places in the race. And, uh, and I, I suppose that's something where Toyota might need to be considering options uh, for future races. Yeah, I think I think that was exactly the problem. You know, no matter what they did, no matter where they went, um, they just couldn't catch them. So on the dunes, I think they were expecting to battle with the heavier vehicles. But once they got out into gravel, when they got into Bolivia, um, I think they were expecting to chase them down. And they battled in an altitude. So no matter what they did, it really just didn't work for them. Um, I don't think, as far as I know, Peugeot is going to be racing the same vehicles next year. So I guess that will depend on how they approach the race. But yeah, in the long run, um, racing Dakar, I think probably the, the Peugeot cars proved this year that that it's maybe the latter car that's going to that's going to win it and on that terrain it's just um it's just difficult when your car's too heavy it is difficult when the car's too heavy but the conditions were uh, at some stages appalling and, and and rarely do we see rain in the dakar rally and of course this year would be a year where it's hit by rain which made things even more difficult for the drivers yeah, it did. And the conditions, I guess that's part of the race, you know. They've got to kind of adapt as they go. And a lot of the time, certainly in the racing sections, the drivers and navigators are, are on their own out there. So it can be very difficult trying to get through the conditions and handling whatever goes wrong with the vehicle and, and trying to keep up with, the, with, um, with your opponents. You know, there was one stage where, where they had to call the bikes off because it rained too much. So I think there's just things that you can't prepare for. Um, and you just got to hold thumbs that you have some luck along the way. And I guess... I guess in that sense, maybe um, maybe the Toyota cars were also a bit unlucky. But, um, yeah, maybe maybe next year. Well, They've got to be happy again with second and third. But. Indeed. It, uh, as you're talking about luck and bikes, uh, I, I'm immediately thinking of uh, the luck of, uh, of one bike rider in particular whose bike got struck by a car. <laughs> And luckily, he was not on the bike at the time. I mean, the, the, it is one of those things, as you say, you're stuck in the middle of nowhere. And this, one of the reasons yeah. why there have been so many deaths recorded is the fact that medical assistance is not always uh, immediately on hand. But, I mean, this, again, just highlighting just how potentially dangerous this, uh, this race can be. It is. It is very dangerous and very grueling. And, you know, it's not just... Um the, the physical fatigue that the guys are battling with. You can imagine how much those guys on the bikes are battling. And oh. it's not just the 4,000 Ks of racing, but on top of that, they've got to actually drive between the stages. They've got to ride the bikes. And mm. it's really, it's taxing. And it's taxing mentally as well. So um, in general, I think, you know, we've said it before, that it, it's got to be one of the toughest endurance sports events on the planet. And I think that's what makes it so incredible that the entire South African contingent finished this year. You know, every guy on a bike, uh, everyone who was driving or navigating a car, they all somehow got across the line. Um, Lucio Alvarez, the Argentine, and Rob Howie rolled their vehicle on the second yes. stage, managed to get back going and, and finished the race um, in 10th position. So I think the South Africans in general, outside of the Toyota Gazoo team, uh, yeah, just a round of applause all round. I think they did an awesome job. Yeah, we can't forget, though, that uh, the man who finished top in the uh, Toyota Gazoo racing uh, South African team was Nasser Alatia, the uh, Qatari, and his uh, French uh, navigator Mathieu Bommel. Really good second place finish from uh, Alatia, who just seemed to have the edge on a couple of stages at, at, at times, kept him in with a chance of, of chasing down Carlos Sainz. 
Yeah, it looked like he might at one point. You know, he kept he kept the gap, which was was, was important. And then I guess just kind of hoped that Carlos Sainz would make a mistake or that something would go go wrong with his vehicle, and it just didn't happen. But Alatia had such a good start; he won the first stage, and then things just started going wrong for him. He had quite a lot of bad luck, not a lot to to take him out the race, but enough that he lost significant time at certain points. And I think Carlos Sainz did have a bit more luck than he did this year. Again, you know, that's just an important thing that, that you can't prepare for. Um, you just got to hold sounds and hope that everything goes well. So they will be happy. Nasser al has said that he's, he's really chuffed. Obviously, everybody wants to win. But, yeah, second place after what he went through. Um, yeah, I think he does, he, he's right to be happy. To be fair, though, credit where credit is due, I suppose, and Carlos Sainz deserves another enormous uh, pat pat on the back. I mean, one of the greatest rally champions that the world has ever seen, getting into uh, Dakar and and again doing as, as as well as he did, virtually leading from start to finish. Yeah, for sure. You you, know, you can say the you know it was the cars, or you can say it was the luck, or you can say it was this or that, and all of those things are relevant for sure. But the, the point of the race is that you're supposed to get all these things together in a package, and a lot of that is obviously not luck. A lot of that is preparation. A lot of that is just the intensity from the drivers. A lot of that um, is how much they want to win, how much experience they've got, and it all has to come together within that two weeks that they needed to. And Carlos Sainz did that, so um, credit to him. It's, it's been a while since he won the DAC. So good to see him up front again, um, and just competing at this level. Yeah, I think uh, I think it was, he lost one straight after Janil, so it would have been 2010 he was last champion. Yeah, but uh, but brilliant, brilliant performance from uh, from Carlos Sainz, I thought, overall. But it was very interesting, I, I, I noted, and I hadn't realized it before the uh, Dakar 2018 began, that Mark Comer, one of the great bike riders of the Dakar rally, a multiple champion on his KTMs, and we used to chat to Alfie Cox about right, racing against him over the over the years. I mean, that went on for nearly a decade, that, uh, that sort of rivalry. But Mark Comer, among the race directors, and talking about the genuine difficulty of this year's race. From a competitor perspective and from a race team perspective overall, from what you've picked up, would you say that this was genuinely one of the toughest races that there has been? Yeah, I think that's come out repeatedly and not just from the organisers. Like you say, from from the competitors themselves and from the guys who have competed in a lot of these races. They, they did say, it was like you said, the conditions were very difficult this year. You can't prepare for that sort of thing. They just kind of had to battle through. Um, if you look at how many cars and bikes didn't finish, you know, there's other categories, but yes. the car and bike divisions are obviously the bigger two. And only 43 cars actually finished the race. There were 85 bikes that finished, and, and there were over 150 vehicles that didn't finish. So, you know, just looking at the numbers, you can tell that even though we see large withdrawals and a lot of a lot of vehicles dropping out every year at the Dakar. Um, this year was just extreme. Um, and I think, you know, that more than anything is probably why Toyota Gazoo is happy with their second and third, not too worried about the wind. I think it was uh, superb, especially when you consider that they were driving with naturally aspirated, car fanatics will understand what I'm saying, but a naturally aspirated V8 engine at altitude is an, a significant disadvantage. So to, to be able to achieve a second and third against those Peugeots is, is phenomenal. And again, Alatia and, uh, and uh, Janil de Villiers deserve all hats off, great credit and great win for Carlos Sainz. But Wesley Bottom, thank you so much for your uh, time this evening, for your insights and opinions, but I really look forward to uh, getting some more of your insights and opinions when the athletic season starts, building up to Commonwealth Games. Yes, I can't wait. I've, I've really enjoyed the Dakar Rally. I, I do every year. It's such an awesome race. But um, yeah, my, my first love is elsewhere. So I don't think it's too long we'll see the first uh, domestic athletics meetings and then uh, hoping for a good season. Fantastic. Thank you.
Thanks, nice. SAFM Sports Wrap. SFM, South Africa's news and information needle. Let's talk tennis now because it's been a thoroughly entertaining opening week of the Australian Open. Melbourne Park uh, has been on fire. Yes, it's, it's, it's almost been quite that hot down in uh, Melbourne and certainly a man who's been following the Australian Open. The great deal of interest is uh, veteran sports journalist Jack Milner. Jack, thanks for joining us. Good evening. Only a pleasure. How are you doing? I, I am uh, I am not as hot as the people in Melbourne. I am very happy though. No. Thank you. And, uh, but I, I think we've got to actually start on... Uh, by talking tennis, and uh, and of course by this I'm, I'm talking about the unheralded but very aptly named American tennis Sandgren, who's just continued this fairy tale run. I mean, again today, Austria's fifth seed Dominic Team out in five sets, and he storms into the quarterfinals. Yeah, he's done very well. I mean, the draws opened up for him, and Tim, you know, Tim is a far better player on clay than he is on hard court, as he's shown, particularly towards the end of last year. So, although it was yeah an upset, it, I wouldn't call it a massive upset. So I would rather consider Mr. Chung beating Mr. Djokovic in straight sets. That's an upset. But his, his name is not nearly as cool as tennis. No, Sandra. no, no, tennis. I mean, who thought of naming their kid tennis? <laughs> Apparently, he has one South African parent. So let's not get into that, shall we? Uh, okay. But you mentioned the uh, the Korean Chung here. Uh, really impressed me at uh, last year's uh, next-gen finals. But now the matchup between these two, I suppose, uh, uh, for those who enjoy a good underdog battle, uh, this will be on. But at least we're guaranteed one unfancied semi-finalist. You know, you know what's interesting about Shun? I don't know how many people know this, but um, we all got upset when Kevin Anderson blew in the first round. But last year, he separated with Neville Godwin. Yes. And Neville Godwin is now the coach of Mr. Chung. I saw him sitting in the uh, in the box, and I was wondering if that was the uh, link between the uh, the two. Yeah, you know, he's the coach. He's now taken over as officially as his coach. His father apparently used to coach him before. That's Chung, not Godwin. And um, he actually is. They've, they've done the deal, and I think uh, Neville must be very, very excited about this youngster. I think there's plenty of potential. As I say, I mean, I saw him in uh, in Milan at the Next Gen Finals uh, last year, and he was fantastic. And I thought he was somebody who really uh, stood up and, and and certainly showed that he's he is one for the future, undoubtedly. But I mean, you, you spoke about South Africa's Kevin Anderson, but the seeds overall haven't really fared well. Uh, South Africa's Kevin Anderson, obviously in the singles, and from another South African perspective, Raven Klaassen in the uh, in the doubles. Yeah, they were blown all in the first round, which is very disappointing. And uh, you know, I think Carl Edmonds is a player for the future, but I would have thought, you know, against the five sets, um, Kevin would have had the edge. Disappointing, I thought. Yeah, well, Carl Edmonds uh, continued on his merry way as well. Somebody else, uh, <laughs> there's, there's been quite a bit of celebration, shall we say, from the uh, the British newspapers about Kyle Edmonds' uh, uh, continued advancement in the, in the Australian Open, rightly so, I suppose. Yeah, listen, there's always, the Brits are very, very excited about their, their uh, players until they lose, and then they're dogs. <laughs> oh, don't remind us of poor old Tim Henman. <laughs> yeah. That was his entire career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Henman had had this brilliant um, run at the at Wimbledon one year. Where he beat Kafelnikov, who'd won the French Open in the first round, and they were hailing him. He, he lost in the quarterfinals, finals, and then I had, oh well, typical Brit, you know, had nothing in the end. And I'm saying the kid made just brilliantly. You, you know, you, you, why complain? But. That's where they are. When Carl gets taken out by Dimitrov tomorrow morning, you know, poor Oak, you'll have a problem. Well, there we go. Uh, you've, you've just laid it out for us. Uh, <laughs> Dimitrov is certainly <laughs> going to be a, a little bit tougher, some might argue. That said, uh, speaking of a man who's just advancing quite nicely, Roger Federer, defending champion, he's got uh, Thomas Burdick in the quarterfinals. A, a player who's actually 
given him problems, actually, you know, but not lately. Somehow or other, Federer's new lease on life, and, you know, obviously he's, he's physically well, which is important. You know, he's not going into injuries. Otherwise, he's just not playing. He's not feeling right. But I think Ivan Lupicic seems to have done wonders for his game. I don't know what they've got together, but he's done very, very well. He's from, I, think, I think what he's taught him is to how to finish the points off a lot quicker. doesn't hang around now. So he gets up there, he comes in when he can, and Anna, he's really enjoying himself. He really is enjoying himself. Hasn't dropped a set yet. Yeah, despite some of the heat, he's been uh, finishing his matches in three sets, unlike many of the other seeds. But, but the women's draw is also quite interesting for a number of reasons. But one of them has undoubtedly got to be the world number one, Simona Halep. Uh, I think she said she was nearly dead after after that three-hour 44 match against Lauren Davis. 15-13 in the third set. That's, uh, yeah, that's yeah, got to be one absolutely. of the standout matches of this uh, this year. It's gonna be, listen. It's gonna be interesting to see how she does. I, I, I have to say, when I when I watched some of the Brisbane tournaments and I saw Angelique Kerber coming back, I thought she's going to be the lady to beat in this in this um, tournament. And so far, I'm still happy with my my selection. So, who are your picks? Your uh, your men's and women's picks, then? Well, look, I am. A, I've always been a great Roger Federer fan, so. He would be my 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 pick and hopeful at the moment, you know. But he's playing so well, you can't write him off. And as I said, amongst the women, I think Kerber is, is going to be. And she's playing well. She's now playing really, really well. So there we go. That's my 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 selection. Jack Mulder, thanks for uh, your time this evening. That's where we're going to have to leave it. Okay. SAFM Sports Wrap. Indeed, uh, time running against, uh, against us, but uh, certainly stick around because the talk shop is up next after the news. Don't go anywhere. Lady Mulow and Griselda Dudumasha are up next. But from the uh, SFM Sports Wrap team tonight, my thanks to producer Luyolum Kalipi, sound engineer Finis Ndoba, and from me, Dwayne Deloca, have a lovely evening. Cheers. It's 7 o'clock.